The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is brought to you by High Echelon. You can find them at highechelonCPA.com. High Echelon PC is a nationwide CPA firm in Atlanta focused on a great client experience. High Echelon provides top quality work with total transparency, so clients always know exactly what they're getting. They believe accounting doesn't need to be complicated and that clients should always get the experience they deserve, which includes top-notch accounting, tax and payroll services, timely communication, complete data flow, and the best automation and security. Book a call or drop them a line at their website, highechelloncpa.com. The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is also brought to you by Elemental Altitude Training Center. You can find them at elementalaltitude.com. Elemental Altitude is Atlanta's best and only altitude training facility. At Elemental Altitude's state-of-the-art indoor training center, they are capable of simulating elevation up to 24,000 feet. Training in the thinner air and lack of oxygen prompts an increase in red blood cells, meaning that more oxygen can be delivered to your working muscles on race day. Athletes undertaking all sorts of goals from rugged mountain climbs to flat sea level marathons to Ironman triathlons train in the hypoxic environment created at Elemental Altitude. I trained there several times myself ahead of my successful race at the London Marathon in 2022. In addition, Elemental Altitude hosts a variety of physiological testing such as sweat testing, blood lactate testing, VO2 max testing, and a variety of metabolic testing which can tell you your resting metabolic rate and the types and amounts of fuel you're burning at different training and racing intensities. Drop them a line at info at elementalaltitude.com if you have questions or you want to set up an appointment. Again, their website is elementalaltitude.com. The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is also brought to you by Blue Pineapple Travel. You can find them at bluepineappletravel.com. Blue Pineapple Travel is an agency of experienced travel advisors who help you design the perfect trip. Blue Pineapple Travel advisors are all well-traveled and knowledgeable, and they will be your advocates from start to finish. They love to help people plan their travel, whether it's for a race, a family trip, a weekend getaway, or the trip of a lifetime. Their goal is to match you with the trip that you want. Relaxation or adventure, traveling solo or with a group inside the U.S. or abroad, Blue Pineapple Travel can plan exactly the trip that you want. Find them online at bluepineappletravel.com and see some of the great places that folks who have worked with Blue Pineapple Travel go on their Instagram, at bluepineappletravel. Finally, the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is brought to you by ITL Coaching and Performance. You can find them at itlcoaching.com. ITL Coaching and Performance's mission is to build a community of athletes set on reaching goals and serving the community. They have a passion for helping people achieve their goals and dreams. ITL coaches are real people with phones, emails, and the desire to spend time with you during your training. They are vested in ITL athletes. ITL takes a communal approach to coaching, so there's always someone available to answer questions and to help adjust the training schedule. An ITL coach will be glad to meet with you to chat about your goals and to find the best plan to help you meet those goals. Again, their website is itlcoaching.com. Thanks to all of our sponsors who help us bring you the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. Welcome back to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast brought to you by High Echelon, Elemental Altitude, ITO Coaching and Performance, and Blue Pineapple Travel. My name is George Darden. I'm an endurance athlete and coach here in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm a father of twin boys, and I'm a college professor. My name is Michelle Frank. I'm also an endurance athlete in Atlanta, Georgia. I am a mom to three girls and a CPA. 
And my name is Eric Hall. I'm an endurance athlete and coach in Raleigh, North Carolina. I'm the father to three teenagers and the husband to a beautiful wife, Melissa. Glad to be with you once again. Strength work check-in. Michelle, we're recording on a Wednesday. Isn't this your strength work day? I did my strength work. Begrudgingly, I did my strength work. I did it at, gosh, 1.30 this afternoon. And I'm very proud of myself for doing my strength work. Did I mention I did my strength work? <laughs> and you mentioned you're proud of yourself. So I'm proud of you too. I don't know, guys. It's just not fun. Um, I couldn't agree with you more. I actually did strength work this week. In fact, I did two things that I think would count as strength work this week on both Sunday and Monday. Wait, I've did, Casey, course, did Casey roll again? So, so did no. Casey do a roll workout? No, no, no. I actually did my own strength work, unlike what we discussed, uh, the possibilities of my wife doing my strength work for me last week on the podcast. But no. So I had told my wife, and she's, of course, heard me whine on the podcast about how I can't really get motivated to do strength work. Um, and, and so on Sunday, she says, hey, I'm going to do the strength workout. You want to do it with me? And I was like... <laughs> yeah your face <laughs> <laughs> and so we did like a like a 20 minute full body strength work thing that i was sore from until this morning uh wednesday morning um and then on monday she's like you want to do some yoga with me and i was like yeah i guess so and so i ended up doing a 30 minute yoga class with her on monday which is a really good thing i don't know why she waited until the week before i'm about to do a marathon here to actually get me on board with her strength and yoga training here but uh but 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 yeah so so i actually have something to report as part of the strength work check-in you will appreciate though michelle that uh she and i were getting ready to start doing the yoga and i was kind of dragging into the room and she's like Okay, so what do you think? Like a 60-minute yoga session? I was like, no, are you kidding me? 60 <laughs> minutes? I was like, who do you think I am? How about 10 minutes? <laughs> um, and she and we ended up compromising at 30 minutes. And she was like, I can see what they're talking about with you when it comes to strength work. Because you were like so not motivated right now. <laughs> like, I was going to say. I was like, I was like is... moping my way into the room. I was like, oh. And, and, and it was everything that I hate about it. I, it was a beginner thing. And they're like, beginners touch your toes with your face. And of course I can't do that. Um, and, and it just makes me feel completely incompetent. So do you think that you would run better if you could do that? Like, I actually, I really think I could run better if I was more flexible, um, but I have no motivation to gain flexibility. Well, I mean, it depends. So, so there's, there's, you, if you are more flexible, then it's almost like a rubber band in the sense that that it's not a tight rubber band. And so if you're more flexible and there's more movement in there, you don't necessarily generate as much power, um, which is something that sprinters and jumpers always talk about. They're actually better off being a little bit tight. Um, by the same token, though, if you have a better range of motion, right. um, that could eventually make you more, more efficient. More efficient. And, and yeah. certainly makes you more, uh, makes you less injury prone. So I, I, I do think that I would benefit from it. Um, I don't know the degree to which I would benefit from it. And what I really don't know is whether, whether it's worth it. Like I have decided, as you both know, in my life that swimming, even though it would be helpful to my running, is not worth <laughs> it. It's not the worth the mental cost, right? Um, and I just don't know whether yoga is worth the mental cost. I think doing strength work, doing like lifting weights, I do, I do think is worth the mental cost. And I just haven't quite paid the mental cost just yet. Um, so to help you with that and to answer a question you asked earlier, I think it was a question. Um, yoga is not strength work. 
So you can't oh, count that as a on. second strength work exercise. And it's since you feel like strength work helps you, but yoga doesn't, you don't have to do yoga. So, okay. Well, thank you for, for building in an excuse for me not to do yoga. There you go. That's, <laughs> I'm here for you, George. <laughs> I think it might help me. I think it might help me. And, and to be honest, the, the times that I've done yoga, I've been surprised by how much strength was actually required. Um, That's because I, you don't do yoga. Right. Yeah. Not and, because yoga is strength work. Okay. Okay. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate you looking out for me. Here. Um, but well, no, a- after after I do the Austin Marathon this weekend, and after I recover from that a little bit, my my plan over the course of the next medium while from from now basically through the summer into the fall is to get into a routine of doing uh, strength work on Mondays. Um, and so I look forward to that. And so maybe I'll have a little bit more to offer to the strength work check in there over the course of the next little while. Michelle, how's your running? You're back to it, right? I think it's important for listeners to know if last week was the George and Michelle show, this week is definitely the Eric and George show. I just, I feel it. It's coming. Um, Yeah, I went running and I actually went to the track on Tuesday. As many people who listen to the podcast know, the track that we regularly worked out at pre-pandemic was resurfaced. It was pretty nice. At a local high school, at Lakeside High School. Yeah, the local high school. Um, but I guess this is the difference between a DeKalb County public high school and something like a Holy Innocence or a Marist or a Love It. But the track is no longer has a dip around <laughs> around the second turn. It's it's all the same. Uh, the no longer has the same a, no, level. No, no longer has a lake in the turn. Which no is longer good. has a lake. Also, well, it wasn't raining, so I can't verify that. But I feel confident that that is also true. But it was just as hard as asphalt. It wasn't like one of these yummy tracks that feel like you're uh you know cushion in a way or a little bit of like the what rubber foam okay okay i wore the deviate nitro twos to the track not a good track what had you been wearing you mean like previously when i used to do the track workouts like two years ago no, 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 no. My, my, my question is, what have you been wearing? What had you been running in prior to doing the track workout? You want to compare my like three runs in the new balance fuel cell super comp trainer to going back to the deviate nitro twos? No, he just wants to know if the difference between the hardness of the track is due to your shoes rather than the track. I'm simply saying that your experience <laughs> that day on the track may have been impacted by the fact that you're running on the softest shoe you've probably worn in years for a few I days. No, I think it's just a cheaper track than the fancy schools. Tracks. It probably is also. Yeah, it's yeah, probably it, painted rubber as a, opposed to like a prepared yeah. rubber that's baked onto it. You know, whatever they use that. I think it also got is. a little longer. Could be both. Or Certainly could I'm be just, both. I'm just not <laughs> they in made it the longer. shape I want to be in. <laughs> 415 meters. The track is longer. The track is harder. (laughs) I don't know if these things are necessarily improvements. Um, Eric, did you uh, you race on Zwift last night? George, you know the answer to that question. Well, I I was going to ask less about how the race went and more about what you thought about the new Zwift Scotland world. I would say I didn't enjoy it a whole lot last night. (laughs) Why? Because you lost? There's no losing in Zwift. There is getting your ass kicked in a way. Yes, it was. This was a 
so um, many of the courses have a pivotal moment. And, and during that pivotal moment, you either stay in the front pack or you don't. I was not bike, ready. Bike races in general have right. that. That's the reason why Lance right. Armstrong's podcast is called The Move, because he says there's always a move in a bike race that right. defines the race. Yeah, but keep going. And and this this was not my night to make the move. Mm. That's And in fact, uh, four of our six riders on our team did not make the move. <laughs> um, wow. And then, and then I got caught in this small pack. And if I knew the guy's names, I'd call them out right now because they refused to do any work mm. um i think we could have in the first few moments we could have gotten back in the pack but they gave up right away and then they waited till the very end of the race mm. to just race away from myself and one of my teammates so it was it was a little annoying but no, i'd say this like the purpose of those races is for me to get a workout i got a pretty good workout probably more of a workout than had i stayed in the pack because right. that's kind of the goal is to right. stay in the pack right for sure so for sure it, it's actually not about i did get to see the course because you you know you looped it four times mm -hmm. it seems like a pretty good course it's kind of mm -hmm. short i don't know how much more is there in scotland but mm -hmm. there's a, a there's a there's a crit course downtown and then there's a climb that basically cuts right across the center of the loop that you and i did four times last night okay um and uh the the UCI e-cycling or e-sports world championship the uh, is on with this weekend, as a matter of fact. It's on February 18th, um, and they're going to be doing a combination of races. Um, and then the actual in real life UCI world championship this fall is going to be in Scotland. Um, and so that's the reason why Zwift has sort of set their virtual world here in Scotland. But unlike some of the other worlds they have, they didn't actually seek to recreate the real world in Zwift. They decided to to make a course that they thought would make for a more exciting Zwift race. Um, and so I look forward to seeing how the race turns out this weekend. I think it should be pretty cool. So uh, speaking of that, how did your race turn out? So last night? Yeah, how'd that finish turn out? So, I heard you so, stayed up in the front. <laughs> so the the typical Zwift race for me is that that I will bit I will hang on. And hang on, and I'll make I'll, I'll be able to to make most of the moves and, and be able to stay in the front group, and then the whole front group out sprints me. That's my typical that's my typical Zwift race, and that's what happened last night. The only <laughs> thing that was different last night was that about halfway through the race, my teammates and I decided to try and make a break for it, and so four of us went off the front of the group and put about a ten second gap on the group and and tried to pull away. That didn't really work at all. Um, but it did give me the highest 10 minutes of power that I produced so far in 2023. Um, so, you good know, stuff. so, so that was good. So, so to your point about getting a workout, I definitely got that, but you know, when you're in the front group of 26 people and you finish 25th in the race, there's only so much satisfaction you can take from that result. <laughs> <laughs> so it's cool. It's cool. That has never been your strength. So the yeah, strategic finish is not right. George's strength, right? No, yeah, I, I mentioned it in the uh, in the the talking about how I've never much liked Woody Kincaid because he's the opposite of that, right? Um, uh, but yeah, no, I I've never been somebody who's who can sprint for the finish. That's just not who I am and not what I can do. Um, so I'm much better at, at running a time trial and and staying even throughout the course of the entire race. Um, um, and it's it's become after 30 years, it's become self fulfilling too. That mm -hmm. if if I go into the finale of a race. And I'm in a group of five people. I'm like, well, looks like I'm finishing fifth. <laughs> <laughs> and I try not to like, you know, with a thousand meters to go or with three minutes to go, whatever. I try and bear down 
and and make something happen but no it never works switching gears did y'all see the new uh world record that was set by uh the guy from canada who ran a half marathon with 120 shirts on <laughs> George, is this does this show up on your facebook feed <laughs> i this no, was amazing. I got a New York Times news alert about it. <laughs> Seriously? No, I didn't. Uh, the, the picture I, yeah, of that guy. I, it, 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 I definitely heard about it on uh, on social media, whether it was on my Facebook feed or maybe I found it uh, uh, on Twitter. I can't quite remember. Where, where do you guys see the picture of him? So there was uh, a picture of him. To me. So there, there, there's a picture of him. And, and it's funny because you look at it and he looks like somebody who's wearing 120 shirts. Yeah, he looks massive. Like he 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 looks incredibly large. A guy from Edmonton. His name was uh, David Elliot, um, and he had actually in the past he had run a half marathon with like ninety shirts. Um, but then another guy came along and wrote uh, and ran in one hundred eleven shirts, and so he went back and rebroke the record and by wearing one hundred twenty shirts. I was thinking about oh, it. Wow. Can can because. Obviously, like the more shirts you put on, that like increases inches, and so you have to put the biggest shirt on the outside. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and so he's he's actually sponsored by um, a food company called Seven Summits Snacks, and that's what the the outer shirt is. And so it's like this giant dude running along wearing a shirt that says Seven Summit Snacks on it, which is kind of hilarious. But I was thinking about it, and I'm, I'm interested in what y'all think. How granular do you think he had to get with the order of the shirts? Do you think like at some point he was like, oh, I, I need to switch 79 and 80 because I think I'd be better off. I'm pretty sure he wasn't down to that level. But consider this. I think he talked about like circulation issues. Yeah. yeah, he actually had to stop early on and switch it up because because all the shirts were cutting off his circulation. Yeah. So I think the consideration is you can't like the shirts have to be in the right order such that it doesn't get so tight. Mm-hmm. on your arms i mean I, I, this the picture says it all you just like, i feel like it'd be heavy too oh what, yeah i think about, wouldn't that be think about your heavy? basket of laundry you've never yeah. carried 200 shirts in your basket of laundry right? i mean how much does a shirt weigh a shirt probably weighs what like half a pound and so if you wear 120 shirts that's like 60 pounds of clothing you're wearing he looks wow this is worth googling <laughs> you just looked it up i um, mean also the marathon the half marathon is called the hypothermic half marathon yeah yeah well, no yeah he, i think the, it's right. essential that he's running the hypothermic exactly yeah, because like he's in, not in, rejecting in pictures, any heat in, in all in all the pictures his, his beard is frozen and with ice and everything so it's clearly <laughs> an extremely cold day it was probably below zero degrees uh fahrenheit and 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 he's he's out there running because if you're going to be wearing 120 layers <laughs> Yeah, uh, he did not run fast. He ran just under three hours, as a matter of fact. But I don't think I'd run all that fast either. <laughs> no. Gosh, I feel like it could have taken him two hours and forty-five minutes just to get dressed. Probably did. I mean, that's the sort of dedication you have to have if you want to be a Guinness World Record holder. <laughs> this is a whole day thing for him, like getting dressed, mm-hmm. someone carrying him or wheelbarrowing him to the start line, <laughs> and then like finishing. Like he could just fall over. And he wouldn't even notice. Like, there's no way any part of his body but his chest was going to hit the ground if he fell over. Yep. And then yep. getting the shirts back off. I mean, oh after that kind of effort. Yeah, impressive. I don't know. That's impressive. 
Good point. It's, it's, I'm glad you brought that up. It's super <laughs> impressive. Yeah. And it's funny, like, so he posted on Instagram and then of course, seven summit snacks posted on Instagram as well. And you see the pictures on Instagram and he looks like a runner, right? He's this kind of thin wiry dude. Um, and then that stands in pretty stark contrast to the way he looks when he's actually running the race. That's insane. It's absolutely insane. <laughs> With his he number like on the outside. <laughs> a linebacker on steroids. <laughs> uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, all right. So let's talk about uh, one other kind of quick piece of news here. Some some pro running news. I mentioned in the cold open last week that Jared Nagus actually ran a uh, a record, an American record for the indoor mile at the Milrose Games. Um, there was also an American record for the women's 3000 at the Milrose Games. There was a uh, NCAA record for the women's 3000 in that same race at the Milrose Games. Uh, that was pretty amazing for sure. Um, and then also Colleen Quigley won a triathlon. Which one of those things you want to talk about, Michelle? <laughs> we can talk about um, Colleen winning her debut triathlon and getting her pro card. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh she was very clear in a recent podcast i think she did it mostly to just clear up all the confusion about you know where she's holding and literally what sport she's competing in she said that her plan is still to try and uh make the olympics in 2024 in the steeple um so she is training on the track she's like full throttle she's going over hurdles um plans to be on the track in the steeple. Um, and, but at the same time, she attended, uh, kind of the USA triathlon, like ID camp this summer, which is also something I know we've spoken about it a lot, but, you know, I think when Jorgensen is pretty famous for saying that she didn't choose triathlon, triathlon chose me, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Um, so Colleen went through the same program really that Gwen did. And although much earlier in Gwen's I guess, life and Colleen's um, older now and, you know, had been a professional runner since 2016, 15, maybe 16. Um, anyway, so she basically is going to train multi-sport for track and field through 2024 and then try to make the Olympic triathlon team for Los Angeles in 2028. Mm -hmm. But what I thought was so interesting was like USA triathlon sent her a kit for this race. Mm -hmm. Like she raced in the full on USA, um, like sprint distance tri kit, which is, I feel like a little, I mean, gosh, there's just so many other people in triathlon who, I mean, deserve is the wrong word, but we could be highlighting. And I just feel like I mean, kudos to Colleen. She's great on the marketing end. She's great with the business stuff. Um, but I feel like she's now but she becoming also, but the she new also face. Won, she also won the race, though. She I mean, won the race. Yeah, she, she, she did was, win the she race. She was, what, like 17th or 18th <laughs> off the bike and ran was, through the field and won the race? Yep, she was 17th or 18th off the bike. And, yeah, I think it was like three loops. And by the time she was in the last loop, she won. And she came into the finish line, you know, with her... I don't even know what you call this um, and her braids out and everything. So she accomplished what she wanted. And I guess that's good. I don't know. It's interesting. You, you don't, you don't sound like a fan, <laughs> Michelle. <laughs> it's uh, I just, I feel like she's just going to, I think she's going to dominate. And I think Gwen trying to come back is going to dominate. And I feel like there's so many other amazing athletes right now in USA triathlon that I'd love to see them get more attention. 
from I, the governing body and in the sport. And, but, and, and, and that, that's a fair point. I don't think Gwen's going to come back and dominate. Um, but, but, but I, I do think that no, it would be nice if we were story. Be so right? it is like, this, she's going oh, so to, she's going to dominate the headlines. Yeah, uh, exactly. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I, yeah. I thought you meant dominate the races. Cause I don't think she's going to dominate the races. No, but, me but, either. For sure. Not, but, but, but Colleen won the race though. I mean, and so, so I, okay, so I but, do appreciate what you're saying that, that there are a lot of very hardworking triathletes that deserve attention and that need the media coverage and support from the governing body of, of triathlon in the United States. Um, but again, she won the race. I mean, if she, if she would have finished 17th or 18th and they would have been giving her all this attention, I, I, I might feel differently about it. I mean, yeah. she won a sprint triathlon that I be- think neither you nor I can figure out what even the name of the race was. I couldn't find it. Yeah. No, well, I was I was searching for it in the news. I couldn't find the name of the race she like, won. Yeah. It's not yeah. even an Olympic distance try. Fair point, mo fair money, point. mo money, mo money. <laughs> this is all about the money. So. Well, and I will say that if we're talking about that side of Colleen Quigley, she is genius at it. She she's she's very she good self promoter. Mm-hmm. She wins. <laughs> mm-hmm. So yeah, she's been very good. at She keeps herself. She, she, she's she's a, she has yeah. done a good job of merging an influencer with a yep. with a, yep. a world class athlete. Yeah. I mean, she keeps herself relevant and brands flock to her and for good reason you know yeah so i mean we'll see i i will say you know she started doing she started cycling because she like a lot of athletes kept getting in this injury cycle and could never quite feel like she was reaching her full potential because she was always getting injured and so she integrated some cross training on the bike into her running training and she's had the longest sustained period of training without an injury over the course of the past couple of years thanks in large part to her cross training. And so now she's working in more swimming and she's essentially training like a triathlete in order to run the steeplechase. And then after 2024, like you said, she's going to switch over to the triathlon. This is what I was saying all along that Gwen Jorgensen should have done. Gwen Jorgensen should have never stopped training like a triathlete. Um, that I get that she switched her goal over to the marathon and that she wanted to be a, you know, an Olympic marathoner in 2020 after she won gold medal in the triathlon in 2016. But she shouldn't have given up the cycling. She shouldn't have given up the swimming. She should have kept on doing that stuff. Um, I think that's the reason why she got injured and was never able to actually achieve at the at the level that she wanted to in, in running. So, um, so anyway, we'll see. Um, Colleen Quigley is going to be a test case of whether I was right about that. And not to say that, that Gwen Jorgensen and, and Colleen Quigley are the same, but if Colleen Quigley can pull it off, I mean, I will feel pretty good about myself and my analysis. Okay, but <laughs> Colleen Quigley is an NCAA champion in tra- on the track. Mm-hmm. So this is yeah. a very different, you know, coming into with a very different uh, sure. athletic yeah. background. And yeah. nine time All American. Yeah. yeah. So. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we'll see. Yeah. I mean, it's something to follow. Hey. So I'll, I'll, I'll be, I'll definitely be looking forward to seeing where it goes. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, all right. Let's talk about um, the book of the quarter real quick. Um, Fit Nation, the gains and pains of America's exercise obsession by Natalia Melman Petrozella. Uh, y'all should join us in reading it. Uh, Eric texted Michelle and me a picture of the book this week which means that he now actually has a hold of it. And if Eric's going to read it, then we should all read it. So um, I, I, I encourage all of you to uh, to join us in our book of the quarter. Um, I haven't started reading it yet. I've been, um, I've been reading Bowerman and the men of Oregon, the, uh, the, the biography of Bill Bowerman by Kenny Moore. 
um, which is excellent. Um, and uh, but I'll probably be done with that over the course of the next short while here, the next few days, and I'll start reading Fit Nation, which I I look forward to for sure. Um, all right, we had promised that we were going to talk about watches and watch features and and all the various things that your watch can do for you, and some perhaps cautionary tales about putting too much faith in your watch and the metrics that can share with you. Um, and so so that's that's really what we're going to focus on for the bulk of the podcast tonight, um, Eric. The first time you ever came on this podcast, um, more than a year ago, is before we invited you to have a recurring co-host role, uh, we invited you to come on and talk about GPS and the limitations of GPS and watches and all that sort of thing. Um, do you want to recap that real quick for us, just to, to remind everybody, perhaps even some of the people who are brand new to, to having GPS watches about sort of the basics of that conversation? Yeah, I think that's a good place to start because I, th I think um, understanding the power of these tools is important. And, you know, that that conversation was about we, we started with, you know, how does GPS work and what are the limitations of it? And then we I ended by saying, regardless of the limitations, I think it's a good tool. I think it's a it's a tool that provides a lot of um, good info to you. Um, now, there are a couple things about those watches that I sort of wanted to like, like you said, recap, because as as we talk through these other things, these are things that you should take into account. Um, one of those things was, you know, we, we talked about how you get out there and there's nothing more annoying. And Michelle made this very clear than the runs about to start and you can't get your watch to connect to the GPS satellites. Mm -hmm. And so I figured I'd give a quick reminder, you know, there's a little file that your 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 uh, watch has on it that tells it where the satellites are basically and that's how it knows which satellites to attempt to connect to because satellite your watch isn't sending anything out it's simply just receiving the signals from the satellites so knowing in basically where some of them are which ones it should attach to gets to link much quicker and that's called ephemeris data and the way that you keep that updated is you keep your watch you know every few days you make sure it's connecting to your phone because your phone will pass that information to it if you don't you will have that three to five minute wait where your watch is actually trying to download that information from the satellite over that very low baud rate connection it has with the satellite um, just think back to the, the, the beginning of computer time when George and I were kids and you would actually uh, get the data to your computer through your phone. And, and, we, and we were trying to download songs from the internet and they would take like seven minutes to download a song. <laughs> yeah. And it was really poor quality. Yep. So um, now one thing that uh, uh, Koros does is it actually tells you. So that was an interesting thing that I learned when Michelle let me borrow her watch it actually gives you a warning and it tells you, hey, your ephemeris data is about to uh, expire. So, but not all the watches do that. Garmin does not. I'm not sure what if your Polar watch does it. I think my, you probably my, keep it connected enough not to have the yeah, issue. Yeah, my Polar doesn't, but it, it connects extremely quickly to satellites because I sync it with my phone so often because that's right. the way that you have to upload the data. So that's just something to keep from getting annoyed when you get out there for your run. The other thing is a lot of these metrics that we're gonna talk about rely heavily on heart rate data. Um, a lot of people like to use a chest strap and that's great. And that can help you with, um, with getting accurate heart rate data or even additional information. The, the Garmin, uh, pro heart rate strap HRM actually provides a lot more data than just heart rate. Um, 
But if you don't want to do that because it's just an extra piece of gear and I'm one of those people that's kind of moved away from that, tighten your wrist strap. Uh, tighten it till it's a little bit uncomfortable, see how it works, and then back it off. Otherwise, you've got a, there'll be a tendency to get up some, or to get cadence lock where your watch is actually picking up on your cadence more than it is your heart rate um, through, the, through the wrist uh, heart rate. So uh, there are also arm straps out there. Uh, Garmin makes an arm strap. Um, so just think, something to think about. Now, I did talk to one person who had a Coros watch and I said, hey, why don't you just get a heart rate strap? If you don't like the wrist heart rate and the person said to me Coros doesn't make a heart rate strap um <laughs> something to consider is these these heart rate straps are generally um they can connect to any watch brand right so the polar one will work with your garmin and the garmin ones will work with the Coros. or I, I wore when i when i was wearing a Coros, i often wore a wahoo strap okay right and then wahoo so just a, just a couple of little things um to think about when you're using your gps watch very good very good so i look back and saw that it was episode 127 was when you were on with us the first time and this is almost episode 250 so that feels like a really long time ago eric so um, you've been part of this podcast for longer than I realized here. I enjoy um, this so much. It feels like yesterday. <laughs> I feel As Michelle rolls her eyes. <laughs> All right. So we want to talk about some of the more advanced training concepts that you can actually access with your watch. Whether you're wearing a polar watch like I do, whether you wear a Coros like Michelle has and like I have in the past, whether you wear a Garmin like I know that Eric does. If you're looking in Strava, if you're looking in Training Peaks, um, they will give you all of these various numbers uh, that they uh, use to try and help you fine tune your training uh, to get a balance between the work that you're doing and the recovery that's required for you to actually gain fitness from that work. Um, and we talked about how to go about explaining some of these metrics. And I suggested that we talk about training peaks as an entry point to talk about all these different messages, um, all these different metrics. Um, the basic idea is what exercise physiologists call load. Um, and load is a combination, essentially, of duration and intensity. They've been using this term since the 1970s. It's not anything new. But scientists have argued over the course of all of that time about the best way to actually calculate load. Um, and each individual company has their proprietary methods to calculate load. They sometimes use different language, um, but but they all have their, their varying ways that they actually will, will calculate load that differ slightly from one another. And needless to say, they all claim that, that their way of calculating load is actually the best. But let's talk about the way that Training Peaks does it, because like I said, I think that's a good entry point. Um, first of all, you have a number for every single workout that's called the IF or the intensity factor. And the intensity factor is basically a percentage of your functional threshold power or your heart rate or the pace that you're running or even your rate of perceived exertion. It's a percentage number. Um, it's an 80% or something like that. And it's always expressed as a decimal point. So it'd be like 0.85 would be 85% of your maximum. Of course, you have the duration, which usually they uh, try and express in hours. And then they combine the intensity factor with the duration to get what they call a training stress score. Um, so for example, if you run at 80% for an hour, which would be 0 0.80 intensity factor for an hour, that will give you a training stress score of 64. Um, now, 
If you add up all of your training stress scores for the last six days, that will give you what they call the acute training load. If you add up all of your training stress scores for the last six weeks, for the last 42 days, that will give you your chronic training load, your CTL. Um, and then if you subtract your acute training load from your chronic training load, that will give you what they call the stress training stress balance. Um, if you're building, you want your acute training load, which is the last six days, to be a little bit more than your chronic training load. And so your training stress balance would be a negative number. Um, and so let's kind of set it up with a scenario here. So let's imagine every day for six weeks, you do a one hour run at 70%. That means that your IF would be 0.7 for an hour, and that renders a training stress score of 49. So if you do that every day for about six weeks, your chronic training load, your CTL, would be 49. Your acute training load would also be 49 because your last six days would also be an average of 49. Uh, and that would mean, of course, your training stress balance would be simply zero. However, let's say that you then started mixing it up by doing one two-hour run at 70% which would give you a TSS of 98, and one one-hour run at 90%, which would give you a TSS of 81. That would make your ATL go up to 61, and then your CTL, which is the last six weeks, would go up to 51, and that would make your training stress balance 61 minus 51, which equals, or pardon me, 51 minus 61, um, which equals negative 10. Because it's a negative number, that suggests you're building fitness. So your target training stress balance is negative five to negative 15. If you have a positive number, that means that you're more rested, i.e. the last six days, your acute training load is lower than your chronic training load, but it also means that you're not building fitness. So to wrap it up, as I'm building fitness for a major race, if I'm six weeks out from the London Marathon, my training stress balance is going to be like negative 20. The amount of work that I've done over the course of the last six days is going to be significantly more than the average of the amount of work I've done over the course of the past six weeks because I'm progressively adding at more and more and more and more load in order to increase my fitness. Since I have a marathon yeah. this Sunday, I've backed off over the course of the past few days. And so my training stress balance is now a positive number. That way I'm losing a little bit of fitness, or at least I'm not gaining any fitness, but I'm resting a little bit more and I'll go into the race a little bit fresher. So in terms that you use on the podcast often, I would say that before you started this, let's call it your taper, you were carrying fatigue. Yeah. Yeah. You weren't allowing your body to rest and fully recover. Right from the load that you were putting on your body. Right. And that's and that's one way that looking at these numbers, whether you're looking at training peaks or and we'll talk about what the other platforms and watches call them here in just a minute. But that's one way that looking at these numbers can, I think, can be really, really helpful. Um, during that build for the London Marathon, I was carrying a negative training stress balance and a fairly large negative training stress, stress balance for several days and even several weeks on end. Mm -hmm. And there are times when I would finish a run, I'd be like, oh, my God, I'm so tired. I'm so beaten up. I'm so fatigued. And then I'd look at the number and I'd be like, oh, your training stress balance is negative 25. I'm like, well, that's why. <laughs> yep. And you actually mentioned that on the podcast several times. Yeah. So I think it's good to tie this back to those conversations for those listeners that, you know, follow the podcast fairly Absolutely. closely. Absolutely. And and the 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 opposite is also true. Um, there have been times when I've gotten on the bike or I've jumped into a Zwift race or something, and I'm like, I feel great. I feel fantastic. I'm so fit. I can't believe how much power I can produce. I'm covering every attack. I'm I'm creating all the moves. And then I go and look at my training stress balance prior to the start of the race, and it's like a one. 
And I'm like, okay, well, I, I'm, I'm not as fatigued as I thought I was. And so in a lot of ways, using these numbers as reference points can help you understand whether you're carrying a lot of fatigue or, or whether you're not, whether you're more rested perhaps than you thought you were. Yeah, I think a good point, this is probably a good time to make this point. There's two things going on here that I think everybody needs to understand. One of them is these tools are getting fed information and that, that information needs to be the best information possible. And it needs to be consistent over a period of time before the tool can really provide you some feedback. It matters a lot. Right. You know, so that I, I use this term, I've used it on the podcast before. There's the difference between data and information. Data is what you're feeding it. Information is hopefully what it's giving back to you. And so if you're, you know, I mentioned the thing about your, how you're getting your heart rate to it, to your watch, if you're using the wrist heart rate monitor, but it's constantly getting a cadence lock and your heart rates at 200 or 180, and it's really at 120, that will mess up these scores. Now, a couple of minutes of that of that during a run, that's not going to mess up these scores over the course of a month. But it is something to figure out, like, how do I feed the best information I can into the system? Yeah. Um, by the same token, say if you're riding a bike and you have a power meter on your bike, um, but then sometimes you ride a smart trainer and, and use the power meter numbers from the smart trainer. If there is a 2 to 3% difference or more between the smart trainer and the power meter on your bike, then, then you're not necessarily going to be getting consistent data that's going to be rendering you good information. That's a really good point. And a friend of the podcast, Lee Ragsdale, is preparing for a 100-mile gravel race. Mm -hmm. And one of the things he recently did was take his gravel bike, put it on his trainer, and he has a power meter. He has a pedal power meter on his on his gravel bike, and he left it on there rode the trainer and compared the two numbers and he had, they were very, very similar. So he feels good and confident about that. So there's something that you could do if you're, if you are doing that, you know, throw your, your outside bike on the trainer and see if the power numbers are similar, because that's a great point that you can really, well, you could dirty the data a little bit. And then the, the information coming out as it is, is clean. When, so, when Zwift has the uh, world championships, the, the cycling world championships, the esports cycling world championships this weekend, they actually require them to be two separate power sources. Right. You have to have power pedals and a, a smart trainer. Right. Um, that's the way they verify the data. They ensure that your, your trainer is not 2% harder or faster than everybody else's and thereby right. enabling you to win. Yeah. yeah. So the second thing I wanted to mention was everything that we talk about and everything that your watch shows you or your say training peaks or Strava, cause we're gonna talk about Strava. It's very difficult to compare one person to the other, and you you really shouldn't. Agreed. You shouldn't compare max VO2 numbers. You shouldn't compare relative effort numbers. You shouldn't compare fitness numbers, load. Yeah. It's it's very uh, person specific, and so that's that's you know number one, I guess, or one A, uh, or sorry, two A, and then two B is the number doesn't really matter as much as the trends that you see over time. Yeah. You know, as George mentioned, you want that trend of carrying fatigue uh, based on you're adding more load and you're not allowing yourself to recover. You want to see a trend of your fitness improving as you work up to an event or as you, you know, improve your program. But yeah. the difference between the beginning of that trend and the end of that trend or between your friend's trend and, you know, numbers and yours, those really aren't all that important. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know, I, I, I wish, I wish you could say, okay, when my chronic training load, when my CTL is 75, that means I can run 17 flat for a 5k. I, I wish you could kind of do that. My watch tells me that all the time. So, and your, and your watch tries to do that, <laughs> but you can't really do that. Um, and yeah. I, I found that I've had some really brilliant races when, when training peaks was telling me that my CTL, that my fitness was in the high seventies. And I've had kind of so-so races when they told me that my fitness was in the high eighties. Um, and so, so you can't draw a direct line between what your performance is going to be and what your fitness numbers are. Right. For, for, so. Unfortunately, that would be kind of cool if you could, but you still have to run the race. Right. <laughs> Um, so what is what is what is Garmin called these numbers? Because they don't call them. Because I, I know that Training Peaks has has intensity factor, training stress score, chronic training load, acute training load, and and training stress balance. They have those things trademarked. Um, but Garmin uses the same general idea. What do they call them? Right. So Garmin provides what they call you your training status. And so if you if you open up your Garmin app, and I think you can access this on most of the watches also, it'll give you your training status. And there's basically two things that go into your training status. It's your VO2 max and your load. And the load gets broken down. But what it does is it says you're either, I can't remember all the categories, but it's you know maintaining, detraining, uh, you're productive, um, or you're overreaching at some points if you're pushing yeah. yourself too hard. So it gives you a training status. And like I said, it, it bases those um, most primarily on load. Um, mm -hmm. How much, you know, what is your intensity and your duration? Mm -hmm. um, what I think is neat about the way Garmin does it, and, you know, truth be told, I've only ever had a Garmin watch. I've only ever used Garmin until just this year when I started using Strava for some of the, these metrics. So. I'm definitely bought into the Garmin um, information, but uh, Garmin just breaks your your load or your exercise type down into three categories. It's a low aerobic, high aerobic, and anaerobic. And the reason why I think that's cool is because it actually gives you a little graph for each of those. And it says you're either in the range you should be in or you're below or even above the range you should be in for those. Now, I've talked to George in the past on the podcast about this. Garmin, I say, I'll say Garmin doesn't know what I'm training for. So maybe I should be in the high aerobic all the time, or I should be way in, you know, in the low aerobic, you know, much more. But Garmin takes a different look at it or a different thought about it. And they're saying for general fitness, regardless of the event you're training for, you should have a piece of this in the, in the anaerobic. You should have a good large chunk in your high aerobic, and then you should have a chunk in the low aerobic also. So something to think about when you're looking at those, but I think those are really important. Mm -hmm. um, do, the do, other, they, do they have specific names for, for, for the load for, to, do they, they have, do they have, when, when you combine intensity with duration in order to get like a training stress score in training peaks, do they have a word for that in Garmin? Cause, Your cause training they, load. Okay. Okay. And, that, and that's good. Yeah. They just don't bother with their own proprietary term. Um, yeah. yeah. Polar. So my watch right now calls your chronic training load. They call it tolerance and they call okay. your ATL, the, the six day average, they call it strain. Um, and okay. then, and then they, they have individual training stress, stress scores, but they don't call it that. They just call it a, a workout score. Um, okay. And then they they call the training stress balance they call it your cardio load status but but 
like you were saying with, with Garmin, they don't give you the number of your cardio load status. They just put it into a category. They just right. say you're detraining, you're, you're doing, you're overreaching, you're being productive, you're maintaining. Right. Um, and they just don't, they don't give you exactly what the number is. They just tell you whether you're where you need to be in terms of the balance. Yeah. Right. And Garmin will assign every activity that status. Um, and then it will build a pattern over time of your exercise load. And then it gives you the seven day load. And I think the seven day load is interesting because it, it basically sets up an optimal range for you on a chart. And then it shows where you fall within that range with each day of exercise. Um, and it calls that your acute load. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, so that's your, that's your ATO, your acute training right. load. So it does give you, uh, it does use the yeah acute load. Mm -hmm. Um, so if, if you're training for something and you're building, um, and you're building into it, if you're in the really, you know, the build phase, you should be kind of on the top of that optimal range, mm -hmm. maybe pushing it. And that optimal range will shift and get, and get larger as you go. Um, but if you're if you're post event or if you're maintaining, you'll just kind of sit inside that range. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. now one thing I, I wanted to mention, there's actually two things I want to mention about this that um, I talked to Lee, friend of the podcast about today. If you've been running with uh, Garmin for a long time. I didn't see an announcement about it. I can't prove it. But sometime in late 2022, um, we both believe they changed uh, one of their algorithms. Um, and what we noted was um, previously uh, max VO2 numbers would be much more affected by hard workouts, hard efforts, long weeks. And recently the max VO2 numbers have been very steady, regardless of what you're doing, um, running or cycling, because Garmin gives you two. It gives you one for each activity. And the second thing is the this uh, seven day load uh, calculation in the optimal range has done the same thing. It's really leveled out. So I don't know if it was better before or better now. I just know that there's less uh, fluctuation in it. And it, it was a little frustrating for a while till I found somebody else who said, I've noticed that as well. So when we talked about like feeding the algorithm good information, if they change the algorithm, even small changes, you could see uh, large differences in the outputs. Right. And I really believe something happened in mid late 2022 that changed the way Garvin was calculating. And, and, and if you've learned to interpret the, that information and, and you've learned to, to, to operationalize that information into your training, and now they're changing the information. Makes it um, difficult. Yeah, it definitely makes it difficult and, and in some ways nullifies the effectiveness of the tool, at least for right. who you can readjust. And I can um, honestly say, um, up, you know, middle of, or say the beginning of 2022, I was pushing, you know, max VO2 numbers in the high 60s and my max VO2 won't go over 60 now. It's been stuck at, at 59 for a long period of time. That sort of differential cannot be explained by anything else because I can tell you my performance has not changed that much. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. so anyway, that's just something to think about. Um, the second thing, there's one metric that I don't know that your watch or a Coros or any of other tools has that Garmin has started using. And it's not on my 945. It is on uh, Lee's watch. It's called stamina and it gives you a real time number and a plot of your stamina, say during a workout. And what it does is if you're, say you're doing repeats, 
it shows you how effective your recovery between the repeats are. Like I said, I haven't used it, but I think that's a neat, you know, in situ uh, tool. Whereas most of what George and I are talking about now are things that you find out after the run, you know, it's seven days worth of data and stuff like that. So they call it stamina. And um, if it's on your watch, if you've got a new watch, I would check it out. And if you're doing repeats. And and look into how to use it. I was talking to Chuck Sims from Elemental Altitude about a new tool that he has that measures your muscle oxidation level as you're working out. Um, and then you use that to determine when you're done, basically. Huh. Um, and so, so I, I would imagine the stamina number would be something similar. Is that that, like that when you're when you've gotten to a place where you're not recovering from each repeat the way that you should, that's when the the workout needs to come to an end, right? Yeah, and uh, Lee has shown me a couple plots from this, and you know, you'll see either his recovery is getting his stamina almost back to where it was before the next. Mm-hmm. Um, repeat or it's slowly trending downwards little wave you know trending downwards and mm-hmm. there there must be a bottom to that so maybe that's what it is so koros and strava both have this idea of load too uh koros calls the uh the chronic training load they simply call it training load um the uh the the short-term one the acute training load they call training effect um and then is it their training stress balance they call training focus or is that something else? Training focus is easy base tempo threshold. So it's sort okay. of that, um, that, um, it's that sort of three zone thing that, yeah. that, that Carmen does as well. Right. I gotcha. Very good. Very good. Um, Strava, uh, has what they call fitness fatigue and form. Um, and so, uh, your fitness is your chronic training load. Your fatigue is your acute training load and your form is, is your, um, is your, your, uh, training stress balance. Um, uh, I, I like that Strava will let you put in your, your, uh, rate of perceived exertion in there. Um, and they, the, they'll actually do it that way. Uh, training peaks let you do that too. Um, uh, Polar, as you might guess, is very heavily reliant on heart rate, heart rate because data. that's where they, you know, made their made their place, right? Um, and so my my polar watch doesn't uh, calculate any of this stuff based on the pace I'm running. Um, it's looking entirely at my heart rate. Um, yeah, this is another thing that Lee and I talked about today. Amazingly enough, um, <laughs> you you and Lee work together, so y'all talk we a do. lot. We do, but so one thing to consider there is whatever tool you're using, the heart rate zones need to be set up properly. Mm-hmm. And Garmin- and the, and, and the FTP on your on your cycling and and, yep. and, and the, the threshold pace if you're using running pace and things like that, yeah. Exactly. So um, Garmin actually allows you to set uh, two sets of ranges, one for your cycling and one for your running, which I think is important because it, you know, it would be impressive if I cross um, 160 beats per minute running but if i cross that cycling that's some serious effort on my part so there are different heart rate ranges that you should use for cycling and running i do not know that strava does that in fact i don't think it does Mm -hmm. um but to your point about relative perceived effort um uh the nice thing about strava it it will either use your heart rate or your perceived effort as you put into it so right right we recently had a conversation this week with our friend brian um, and he was like, why doesn't Strava have my numbers up where they're supposed to be? Um, he says, I feel like I've been training a whole lot harder than this. And we said, it's because you don't swim with heart rate. And so there was right. no training score from any of his swims. All of his, his scores from his swims were zeros. Um, and that was obviously dragging down his overall average, um, his overall 
fitness average um, on Strava. Right. Um, and, and giving an improper picture of, of where he was and the work he had done, which is actually a pretty good segue in talking about the flaws of this approach. <laughs> um, uh, because it's not it's not a perfect approach by any stretch. Um, right. I think that, Eric, you will agree with me um, when I say that that looking at these numbers can be helpful, but it needs to be a guidepost, not a hitching post. It needs to be one of many places um, that you are looking for information and feedback on the training that you're doing. Um, if you get too bogged down in the numbers such that you're even ignoring how you feel, um, then then I don't think you're using the numbers properly. I would agree with that completely. And I would say the same thing about if you don't understand what the numbers are telling you. Mm -hmm. For sure. For sure. Um, there have been many times where um, my watch is telling me you need to do, you know, anaerobic work and I'm training for a hundred, not going to do a whole <laughs> lot of anaerobic work training for a hundred. Yeah. Um, it might help me with form and it might help me if I'm doing something otherwise, but you know, I need to understand to ignore the watch there. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. and for sure. you know, um, we were, we were talking to Michelle, um, she was asking a question about her watch. Um, it had something to do with recovery. Wasn't it Michelle? Yeah, I mean, I, as I mentioned before, I did a pretty hard workout yesterday. I went to the track. I was out there for a little bit under eight miles, I think. And then, you know, I'm back home by whatever, 6.45, 7 a.m. And around eight o'clock last night, my watch is telling me, you know, way to recover. Like all of your recovery today, all of your rest today has speeded up your recovery. And in my mind, I'm like, you jerk. 12 hours ago, I was just like <laughs> suffering on the track. And what are you talking about my restful day? But I guess it's enough of a differential from what I did early in the morning uh, for, you know, relative to the last 12 hours, so to speak, that it thinks I've, you know, taken steps to speed up my recovery. So, right. And so I see it on, I see that on both ends, you know, I'll, I'll be working up for a race and my watch will tell me you need 62 hours of recovery. Right. You know, like I'm not going to recover for 62 hours. Mm -hmm. Um, but on the flip side, what Michelle's talking about is, um, basically she did a really hard workout and you expected your watch to say, good job. You did a really good workout. And your watch comes back to you and says, no, you've done a great job resting. I'm going to reduce the recovery time. And I think, thanks, um, Jared. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I actually think that's a pretty neat metric, um, that Garmin has it's Garmin's the only watch I've used. So it's the only one I've seen it on that. If you do a hard workout, it's going to give you 36 hours or whatever number of hours of recovery that you need. That doesn't mean don't do anything. That's recovery. It can be active recovery, but it's just saying, don't go do another workout. Um, but later in the day, if you've rested, if you haven't been highly active, it says, Hey, good job resting. You've reduced your recovery time. So this was actually, you know, it congratulating Michelle for a doing a hard workout and then resting to, to get her recovery. I, I, I appreciate that, but at the same time, I mean, Michelle, I presume you were you were working over the course of that twelve hours, right? Sure, uh, but my you, job you, you is were looking mostly... at spreadsheets, you were interacting with clients, you were doing all that sort of thing. I mean, you were sitting, yeah, but but you were under some stress. Right? I mean, I guess I wasn't under nearly as much stress as you know running mile repeats on the track. I suppose, but I, I so I I'm skeptical. So one of the the flaws I think of of Oh, I'm skeptical as hell, but um, I'm just... is, is, is when it comes to the recovery time thing, 
Um, and so, so I'm, I'm obviously throwing shade on, on, on this from the outset, but you know, during the Blue Ridge relay, we always joke about recovery times because the Blue Ridge relay, you'll finish a run and it'll say recovery time, 37 hours. And it's like, okay, thanks. But I have to run again in four hours. And then you do the run again in four hours and I'll say recovery time, 21 hours. It's like, am I supposed to add that 21 hours to the 37 hours? Or are you just saying that the run I did four hours ago doesn't count anymore and I'm totally recovered from that now, right? Um, and that's not something I've ever felt is entirely clear in Garmin. My favorite story about recovery times using a Garmin is that the, the first time you and I did the Blue Ridge Relay, Eric, in 2018, I was running my fourth leg. It was the dead middle of the night. Um, and, and I'm running along about a mile into it and my Garmin beeps at me and I look at it and it says recovery status. Good. <laughs> and I was like, I've never been less good than I am right now. <laughs> and you're telling me it's good. Right. Um, uh, and so, so yeah, I, I'm always very skeptical of the recovery time things. I mean, what do I you do think, think there's, th that is a special case. I think that the Blue Ridge relay, any the, the tuna relay, any of these relays, even hundred miles and fifty mile races, I think those become they're beyond what the watch can can do comprehend. Yeah. I, I, so I think it, it just gets confusing to its algorithms. It's getting confusing information and it's doing the best it can. But that to your point, George, that's when you have to know to turn it off for not, sure not the watch, but to turn off looking at it. And Absolutely. It and, 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 and frankly, it works in the other direction as well. So, uh, you know, I did the, the Houston Marathon five weeks ago and it, it hurt me. And we talked about it on this podcast. It hurt me a lot. And, and the next day I, I went into it with a positive training stress balance because I rested a little bit beforehand to make sure I was somewhat fresh going into it. Um, and then the next day, of course, I had a negative stress balance. Two days later, come Tuesday, I was back into a positive stress balance because I hadn't run in a couple of days. <laughs> so, so according to training peaks, I was ready to start hard training again. I yeah. could, I literally could not walk up and down stairs and it's like, you're good. Get back to it. Quit slacking. My, 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 my polar flow, which is the polar uh, uh, app was, was like, you're losing fitness. I was like, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Leave me alone. So, but so, technically so, so, you were at the top of your fitness peak. Right. So you should be losing fitness. Right. I mean, that's so, so it, it but, but that idea that, that, oh, you're losing fitness. And and it, and it says under it in smaller letters, if you don't get back to work, you're in danger of 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 falling or you know losing right. whatever, right? And so right. so literally the the watch is like heckling me or the, the the app is heckling me to get back to work when when I can't even go up and down the stairs, right? And so 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 I, I do think the recovery thing works in both directions. Sometimes it tells yep. you that that you need far more than you probably do, and sometimes it tells you, you need far less. You know, one one of the metrics that these watches provide. If you wear the watch all the time, you know, like when you're sleeping, mm -hmm. is it does a lot of recovery and sleep yeah. tracking. Yeah, which I think is good. I think it's really good. Mm -hmm. And, you know, um, it, it doesn't tell you, oh, you need eight hours of sleep. It doesn't give me those like annoying things or anything like that. But it simply looks at the amount of sleep I have. It shows like the trend of sleep I've had over a period of time. And it tells me the different types of sleep I was getting. Yeah. How accurate all that is, I don't know. It's it's kind yeah, of interesting I, I information. I was going to say, I think it's good information. I think it's still a little bit crude. Right. Um, that that like sometimes it will, I, I'll, if I get up in the middle of the night or, or if I, if my son gets up and comes to get me and I have to walk him back to his room and talk to him for a minute, cause he had a mm -hmm. bad dream or something mm -hmm. like that. Like 
it thinks I'm up. Um, right. And it's like, and it's like, George, you slept from, from 10 PM till three 30 AM. Not a very good night of sleep. I'm like, well, I went back to sleep after three 40 AM. Right. Right. And, and, and it sort of misses that. Um, yeah. And so, so, so sometimes it can be a little bit crude and, and kind of miss that, but I do appreciate that they're starting to try and measure the quality of your sleep and then calculate that into your overall recovery. There have been definitely times too, when it gave me like a poor sleep score because I drank a whole lot of beer and then went to bed and it was like, and I even have to slept like nine hours. It's like, your sleep was terrible. And I was like, how did I know that? <laughs> <laughs> well, heart rate, heart rate variability, yeah. those sorts of things. I yeah. mean, it's, it's saying your sleep is better based on your heart rate. Cause that's really the only, and respiration, I guess. Those are the only two things it has. Yeah. And, um, and, and if you're rolling around a lot. Yeah. If you're moving a lot. Yeah. I think the, the thing that is important is that you could be running that same during a, a week, you could run the exact same runs you did the week prior, exact same amount of quote unquote time off of running, but your sleep could impact the way your watch is looking at your runs. Like, Hey, you're high aerobic. And you might not realize that because you're not always looking at your heart rate, but you go back and you look and you go, man, my heart rate was kind of high for that run, even though it was the same pace as it run last week. And you realize, oh, it's not because I'm working harder. It's not because I'm not resting. It's I'm not sleeping. Right. And I think that's, you know, we talked about on the outset, it's about the trends. It's about what your body's used to. And, you know, so over a long period of time, I'd say it takes you a good six months to a year to fully figure out like some of the, not fully to at least start to figure out some of these trends and what works for you. You know, what is your resting heart rate? What is, what are your zones that you should be in for training? And then how much, you know, can you carry what load numbers become a problem for you? Uh, how much fatigue can you carry from day to or week to week? So right on. a couple of other kind of quick flaws we'll mention here. Um, training load, the concept of training load, the algorithm of training load that Training Peaks uses and Garmin uses and Koros uses and Strava uses and Polar uses, they all use some form of what, no matter what they call it. That process hates days off mm. um, because days off are a zero. And sometimes you need days off. Days off are important, not only because, because you might need to, to get back in balance, um, not only because maybe you did some strength work and it made you a far more sore than, than, than perhaps you should have been, um, maybe because a workout was, was more difficult than what the numbers suggest, maybe because life intervenes um, and, and you're forced to take a day off. But some, sometimes you need days off. Sometimes you have to take days off. And these numbers hate days off. Right. Um, I mean, if you're getting if you're getting 100 TSS, you're getting a training stress score of 100 every single day, and then suddenly you stick a zero in there, that's going to drop your acute training load and your chronic training load significantly just for taking one day off. Right. Um, and and so so in some ways, these programs pressure you to not take days off. And I think right. that can be potentially dangerous as well. Right. Yeah. And going back to Michelle's comment at the beginning of the podcast about running in her deviate nitros on the track, mm -hmm. the shoes you wear yep. and the surface you're on, which are, you know, your only interaction with the ground, hopefully most of the time we've all interacted like, other parts of our body with the ground too, <laughs> yeah. but, but those two interactions with the ground, uh, the watch doesn't know mm -hmm. that you're on a loose rock surface. Mm -hmm. It just knows distance over time. Yep. Um, but you are working harder on a gravel surface than right. you are on a, on an asphalt service. And Tra that tra training peaks always gives me 
intensity factor scores and therefore training stress scores for trail runs that are too low because my pace is slower on the trail. You don't get as much return from the dirt as you do from the road. Um, and so because of that, you run slower on trails than you do on the roads, period. Right. Everybody knows that. Well, um, and going back to the original or maybe as the second podcast we had on GPS, when you're off road, you're mm -hmm. turning so much, you're going up and down so much so quickly, your watch can't track that from a GPS right. perspective. Right. So the distance is less. So the, mm -hmm. it looks like your speed is less and your heart rate's the same. So it, mm -hmm. it loses that. Yeah. So. It, it, it assumes that a run is a whole lot easier than it is. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, and so, so yeah, it's funny because it's only in the last couple of years that we could say that with shoes, right? Because now right. If, if you wear a particular pair of shoes, if you decide to, to, I, I, I ran with a, with a friend of mine, Joseph McLeod a couple of weekends ago, uh, we did a long run together and he wore vapor flies the whole time. Um, and he, he probably, he, he, he wanted to do a long run before he does a marathon in a couple of weeks in his vapor flies. Um, but he, he probably got a little bit of a bump from, from wearing his vapor flies, right? He's a, he's a responder to those shoes. Um, and so his, his training peaks probably thought that, that run was harder on him than it was. Right. Um, the last thing I'll say about it is, is it, it also kind of hates certain types of workouts. Um, I have found this particularly with hill repeats, um, mm. hill repeats, you're running hard up a hill. And then you run really slowly down the hill, right? But even when you're running hard up the hill, your pace is not really all that fast. And so, so when Training Peaks gives me a score for how hard a, a a hill repeats workout is, it gives me a incredibly, tragically, frustratingly low score for it. Um, so interestingly enough, I've been wearing this Garmin for the entire cycle leading up to the 50K. And the first time I ever it ever went and told me I had an, I completed an anaerobic workout was on the track yesterday, which is so unfair because if I think <laughs> about the six by three minute hill repeats that I did that, but that's the problem is because right. it's not as fast. I mean, you're going up a significant hill and then you're jogging back down, but it's a workout. Like you're definitely, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 that sort of thing, just your watch can't quite get it. Cannot do it. Yeah. 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 There's a, there was a paper that came out about load and about some of the difficulties with calculating load that was called, would you rather have one big rock or lots of little rocks dropped on your foot? <laughs> um, uh, it came out just last year, actually. Um, and, uh, and he talks about how, um, imagine you run a workout where you do two all out 400 meter repeats. And so you're doing them all out. You're running them in 60 seconds a piece, right? The hardest you can possibly run. Um, and so if you if you say that's a 10 out of 10 effort, that's two minutes times 10 out of 10 effort. That means that's a 20 effort. That's your load is 20. Well, then you go to cool down afterwards and you jog for 10 minutes at a three. That would calculate your load as 30. So that the 10 minutes of easy jogging after the two four, four hard 400s would be 50% more load, would be 50% harder on your body than would be the two 400s themselves. That's patently ridiculous. Um, and anybody who's ever run before knows how ridiculous that is. Um, but that's a flaw in this whole load calculation thing. Um, and that's where you have to start using your own brain. Maybe that's a good note to end on. Using our brain. Yes, indeed. <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, it also really helps to charge your watch regularly. <laughs> <laughs> Michelle, thanks for being here.
hope you uh, guys enjoyed your little talk tonight. Eric, thanks for being here, man. Always fun. Thanks, George. Thanks, everybody. Good night, guys. Hey, good night. Take care, you guys. Thanks again for joining us for another episode of the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash pleasant podcast, on Twitter at pleasant podcast, on Instagram at most pleasant exhaustion. We're available on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcast. Be sure to share us with your friends. We're brought to you by ITL Coaching and Performance, who you can find at itlcoaching.com. Their Twitter is at itlcoaching, and their Facebook group is facebook.com slash itlcoachingandperformance. You can find them on Instagram at itlcoaching. We're also proud to be sponsored by Elemental Altitude, Atlanta's best and only altitude training facility. You can find them at elementalaltitude.com, on Instagram at elementalaltitude, or on Facebook at facebook.com slash elementalaltitude. Blue Pineapple Travel can be found at bluepineappletravel.com, on Facebook at facebook.com slash bluepineappletravel, or on Instagram at bluepineappletravel. And finally, High Echelon. You can find High Echelon at highechelonCPA.com. On behalf of Michelle Frank, Patrick Ollinger, and Eric Hall, I'm George Darden. Thanks for listening to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. We'll see you next time.